the B line is make sure you can see all the risks that everyone in your organization can see and all of the opportunities that everyone in your organization can see, because that's what gets you that 10x growth or that 100x growth. Welcome to Beeline, a podcast brought to you by the Hive Change Consultancy and hosted by its CEO, Andrew Tilling. My name's Gemma Aston, and I'm part of the leadership team at the Hive. Our job is to serve leaders like you who are committed to making a positive impact. I've put together this podcast series and invited some passionate and knowledgeable change makers to help us find the Beeline the simplest way to bridge the gap between pain points and solutions, and to give you the resources to support your leadership journey. Beeline, lead the way. As a leader, I really like it when things are predictable and I know what's going to happen and I know what everyone's doing and it all feels really great and I know what's coming around the bend. There's no bad surprises because I've got everything under control. It's just the problem is I can't really expect my organisation to go anywhere, do anything, achieve anything significant, if that's the case. Because as a leader, we're only as effective as the people who we lead. And when things get difficult, it's through their actions and their insights and their creative, progressive thinking that really enables us to overcome breakthrough. Now, somebody who's worked in some extraordinary scenarios to help organizations to break through and find new ways and really make a difference where it matters, from the grassroots is our guest today on Beeline. He's an entrepreneur and he's also someone who's, well, he's a US Army combat veteran. He's an ex-paratrooper, an expert interrogation instructor. Frankly, you read his background, it makes you feel woefully inadequate as a human being. But what's interesting is how he's placed his efforts now on really empowering people to make the world a better place. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Daniel Hammond to Beeline. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much, Andrew. Glad to be here. So you are currently um, working as a managing partner of uh, customer-driven-leadership.co. Um, and this is an organization which you know, has really got quite an interesting take on, on leadership, I've noticed, and, and particularly around um, how you are looking to empower organizations to deliver a better service to their customers. And um, that seems to me a bit of a a big step away from what we've kind of touched on in your background. So I wonder if you could just start by just giving us a little bit of your story and helping us understand how you got to where you are. Yeah, thank you. You know, I started off um, not doing well in school, uh, as some entrepreneurs have that path. And I, I found that in the world of getting a job and learning the job and then getting bored and looking to move up, my youth stood in my way a lot of the time. I was very loyal uh, where I worked. I, I wanted to be the best employee I could be. And I ended up running into more than once kind of a ceiling of where I knew that there was no growth where I was anymore. And so I had to start looking for something else. And um, that's something that we'll tie, tie back into a bit later, I hope. But eventually I went into the army because I said, well, there's a lot of growth potential there that, you know, you'll move up the ranks as you, as you serve. 
And, and I started off, I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division doing signals intelligence. I learned uh, Spanish and uh, it was a very interesting, high paced speed of life. I had a marriage that didn't uh, survive the, this military career. And so I also had a son that now lived a thousand miles away from me. And so uh, I got out of the army, went into the reserves and I cross-trained as a, first as an interrogator. And then as I graduated, they handed me my diploma and said, you really need to be teaching this stuff. And so I quickly became an interrogation instructor. I did have a deployment as well, uh, where I actually did some real world interrogations, talked to some uh, war criminals, was very good at what I did in a Geneva compliant way. There's a right way to do these things and a right way to treat people wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And then from there, uh, I ended up creating an advanced interrogation and analysis course. So how can we be better interrogators by working with analysts that can help us you know, paint the entire picture of who these people are and what little piece of information this one has and what little piece of information that one has and how to put it all together. And so I helped... Uh, create that course. And having completed that, I found the woman of my dreams lived in Honduras. And so I quit my job and I moved to Honduras. I helped her run her textile export company. She would buy t-shirts and fleece and, and pack them up. So I ended up working in sweaty containers in 120 degree weather. And, <laughs> you know, from there, uh, we had something interesting happen. We got home invaded you know, guns at our kids' heads, give us all your stuff. You know, fortunately, we survived that as best we could. I'm sure wow. the kids have some trauma. But that led to me uh, meeting a man who owned a, phys a top-tier physical security company. And he came in to tell me, you know, what I needed to do differently. And he looked at my arrangement and he goes, holy cow, you really know what you're doing. I said, yeah, but if somebody leaves the gate open, it doesn't matter how good your security is. Huh. Uh, so he ended up hiring me uh, six months later. He said, I'm bleeding money from my company. I need somebody to go in and find out what's going on, where that's happening. And so I, I went over and, and looked at his company and he had 435 employees. Uh, and I said, I think to solve the problem, you're going to have to put me in charge. He said, you're in charge. <laughs> and uh, so I sort of had my own private army in a, in a third world uh, Central American country. It was an interesting time. I, I was able to help him uh, find a, a million dollars of hidden debt and create additional revenue streams, uh, look at how to restructure, how to onboard clients so that you weren't going into deeper debt every time you got a new client and uh, kind of got it to a place where it was starting to chisel its way out of, of its predicament. And then the president of the country raised minimum wage 69 and percent overnight, retroactively. And uh, I told him, we're going to lose two thirds of our clients. We don't have severance to pay the employees. The best thing you can do is uh, sign the company over to the employees so that they can get whatever they can get out of it. But you're, you're not, it's not going to survive. And so from there, I started 
uh, looking, obviously, I lost my job. You know, I, I sort of fired myself, right, Andrew? <laughs> and so uh, uh, from there, I ended up helping my wife back with her company until the economy uh, turned down. And then I said, well, what else can I do to help support my family? And I taught myself cyber threat intelligence. And I became a cybersecurity expert at a top 10 global bank. Uh, from there, I did that for several years until I became the, the lead analyst for, for that bank. And then I started looking at cyber exercises from there. That's kind of, you know, how do you game plan for a disaster and, you know, thinking through it. It's pre-crisis response is what mm -hmm. I like to call it. And then from there, I did get involved with a nonprofit. Uh, we built a nursing school in central Honduras. Uh, one of our partners is an organizational psychologist, and his name is Dr. Ted Anders. He and I worked for five years side by side uh, with my wife and his partner and an amazing team. And we raised $235,000 to modernize this uh, facility so that it was up to code. And so uh, from there, uh, we looked at what, what could we do together? And Ted said, why don't you come take a look at my programs? Uh, I, I looked through his program. And I found this one called customer driven leadership. And as he walked through it with me, it's like I found the holy grail. I'm very good at seeing how all of the components fit together. Uh, I have a superpower and it's I can break anything. And uh, I saw I can gum it up, I can slow it down. But at the end of the month, it's going to say, here's where your problem is and how to fix it. And so I'm like, this is this is genius, Ted. The world needs this. How can we do this together? And so he said, write the, the second edition of my book, which has become the legacy edition of Customer Driven Leadership. The system's been around for since the mid-90s, so it's over 25 years old. It's 100x organizations in the past. It's untangled bureaucratic organizations, so it doesn't just work with, with businesses, but also with nonprofits. And so um, it's my heart to, to get this out to a thousand organizations that it, it takes highly ethical leaders, but if I can get this working in a, in 1000 organizations in my lifetime, uh, I think it will have a significant impact on what kind of good is created in the world. You know, we spent a lot of time working in sales. Interestingly, um, I did some work for a number of different cybersecurity firms and, and have spoken uh, at, at length about some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and wow am I never going to click on an email without knowing where it's coming from again but um I do know that um, with all the work that we've done in trying to help organizations become more effective with their sales work the power of a really good story about how you've added value and made some kind of impact cannot be underestimated and what I found is when we try to humanize tech to try to find the story that we can communicate to help people understand because the box or the gizmo will not sell itself right it, it, when it's too complex to understand you know what what's the story behind it but when you've got that good story about how you've actually delivered value it can massively accelerate sales and it gives salespeople the opportunity to be authentic and and to treat sales as a service because you are genuinely looking to help people to address a very genuine problem within their organization. And I bring this into organizations and it seems like you know, these light bulbs go on of, wow, we've never looked at it that way before because we're still looking for the way to kind of manipulate, coerce or do all those things that kind of 80s, 90s sales training was, was trying to, to put into the marketplace. But actually just trying to do something good for your customers it seems to be missed somewhere along the way. It's 
is vitally important, isn't it, for, for what we try to do as an organization? A hundred percent. I think um, I, I love the the story aspect, right? And that goes for everything. I mean, if, if you just tell people what you do in kind of a CV resume type format, that's not very interesting. It's it's more interesting is what challenges have you faced and how do you make an impact where you work, right? I mean, if you're part of a top-down organization and you don't have that bigger vision is what I like to call it, of what your organization is growing to and how you're going to change the world, then really your employee's future with your organization is limited by your vision of the organization. If you don't have a bigger vision for your organization, they have no room to grow with you. And so uh, I think that's super important. And the same thing goes on the client side. You know, if you treat every client the same, uh, and you're like, well, I'm, what's important to us is delivering on time, fancy packaging and all of this stuff, but you haven't talked to them and said, how can I best deliver my product to you? Then you may be giving them things they don't care about and overlooking things that are critical to them. I love to ask a, a new client, what does maximum success look like? If I can deliver X for you, what is X? Will you not look elsewhere for the services that I can provide for you, right? What's going to win your lifelong loyalty as long as I deliver? Yeah, it's like your your unique selling point on steroids, isn't it? Because it's like other people may be selling what you're selling, but if you are uniquely positioned to provide the thing, the one thing that they most need, and you're the only person talking about that, it doesn't matter whether the others can or not, you're the only person talking about it, right? So people are far more likely then to pay a premium for that service that you're providing because you're the only one dealing with their, their unique needs. I mean, let's go back to my Holy Grail example. Let's say I've got the Holy Grail and it, it one sip from the Holy Grail heals all your physical, mental, and spiritual wounds. Uh, and that's all I'm doing is running around selling it. If I'm talking to a guy who just wants to get rid of his baldness, for example, he's not looking for the other things, right? He just needs to solve the problem that's in front of him. And your solution might do that. But if you haven't asked him what you what how he wants to be served, you might even have the solution he needs, but he's not going to hear it. So you're trying to get to the root of something that's really important to somebody, and you're trying to find a way where there's the point where there's a crossover that you can that you can provide that service for that customer. How much of that kind of questioning strategy kind of comes from your your previous line of work with regards to interrogation? Because, I mean, I've been on the other side of it, right? My, my father was a police officer and detective. So, frankly, for every single thing that I did wrong as a child, I, I got the cold questioning. And I've, I've, I've seen, I don't know every trick in the book, but everyone that he knew has been played on me. And it's, you know, I've, I've come out definitely worse for it. But, yeah, I mean, it's powerful stuff, isn't it? it yes. Um, good questioning is fantastic. First of all, I guess you, it could be manipulative. But really, if I'm asking you, what do you need right now in your life, and then drill into that, then I understand where you're coming from. And honestly, if I can't serve you, I don't need to waste your time. I'd rather connect you with someone who I know could serve you. 
look, one of the hardest problems I've had, Andrew, in selling customer-driven leadership is, is it's magic snake oil. You know, it's, it's <laughs> whatever your problem is, it will eventually solve that problem with the one exception of if you are the kind of leader that's never going to give up control, then it's not going to work. And it's going to feel coercive to the people. It's going to feel like you're, you're trying to manipulate them. Beyond that, I don't know a problem that it doesn't solve. It, it makes you more profitable. It makes you more customer focused. It makes your employees want to come to work and bring their best gifts and talents to the support of your growing your organization. And one of the stories that blew me away was the first organization had nine employees when we started customer-driven leadership. And this was my partner, Ted. You know, it's been running it for over 27 years now. And the story I heard was um, over a 20-year period, he has now over 350 employees, he had five people quit to go work someplace else. I don't know. 20 years. 20 years. He, he literally could count on one hand the number of people that took job opportunities at other places. He said they will retire, they'll die. And when they die, we throw a party for them and invite their families and all the families of all the organizations. I mean, it's, you've created a community-empowered mm. organization. And the problems the communities can't solve are, I think, fairly small if they come together with the right heart, you know? Okay, so... Let's break this down then. What does an organization, first of all, that is not driven by their customer, what does that look like? Or what does leadership look like if you're not customer driven? Yeah. So I'm going to start framing it this way. And, and you tell me if, if, uh, if I'm going off uh, on a tangent, Andrew. I, I think a lot of people start businesses, entrepreneurs, business owners, and they want that freedom of being their own boss. And eventually they get to a point in their organization where they realize I am the critical point of failure. If I step away, if I turn off my phone for an hour or two to watch a movie with my family, you know, it could all come crashing down. And so that's like stage one, you really become a prisoner in your business instead of having a business that gives you freedom. And so then what do they look for next? Well, they look for how can I have a self-managing company? It's all about me, right? I'm not getting what I want out of this relationship. And so I'm going to create a structure that keeps the business running without me. And you can still be there, and, but the business is only going to improve when you're there, when you're putting in the work. And to a certain extent, if you don't have the promise of the bigger future for your organization, your employees aren't going to, they're not going to grow very fast or very well. If you're growing or breaking even, it'll be, you know, on a very uh, slow slope. Your employees are probably going to outgrow your business before your business grows for them to have a bigger future. Whereas if instead of creating that self managing company, one that can survive a few days or a month without you there, if instead you create a self-evolving company, a company that has a clear picture of the, you know, it's like, I'm an American, you might know by my accent, so I'm going to use a Super Bowl. We could use a World Cup example, right? Um, a Super Bowl quality team is a team that knows each other. They have a common goal. They're not coming to work 
to win the next game. They're showing up on the first game with that Super Bowl aspiration. I'm here for my first step in our Super Bowl run. And, and what happens it, when you have that mentality, if you've got that big vision, you'll start to realize, okay, well, if our quarterback goes down, we still need to win games. So then we need the right person in the backup position, but we also need to know how does the whole team need to adjust when the backup comes in? So you've got that interlaced responsibilities and awareness of where everybody's strengths and weaknesses are. It's all the rowers rowing in sync in the same direction toward the same goal, right? And, and so when one rower goes down, the next rower just jumps in, knows the rhythm and starts rowing, right? Organizations get big and complicated. Um, you know, the leader will say, do X. The, the next layer will say, do a modification of X. The next layer says, do a modification. And, and at some point you get down to, to people that are like, what the heck are they asking us to do, right? Why are they telling us to do it this way when there's an easier, cheaper, better way to do it? But nobody's asking them, Andrew. And I think that's, that's a big problem. And so that's the difference I, I see is as long as you're making all the decisions for your organization, then your organization is limited by your awareness. And, and you know, even if you bring in your senior leadership team, you're still only taking care of the macro level of your organization. You're not looking into the micro of your organization, right? If you're not going to every single team and going, how can I support you to do what you do better? You're missing the mark. So without giving perhaps names away, but what would you say was the most, with the organizations that you've worked with, What's the messiest example of that that you've seen? How, how bad can that get? Yeah, um, we had a client who brought us in, small, small client, five people. The first thing that happened is we started talking about customer-driven leadership. There was one person on the, the team that resisted hard. And so then that makes you go, well, we're going to get, we're, we're going to incentivize you to do what you do better. Why wouldn't you want more reward for the work that you're doing and for helping us be successful? And eventually it got to the point where they started looking into, well, why is this person not want to play the game with us? This is a, this is a game that we can all win together. Why do you not want to play? And it turned out that the other four people uh, within the organization were constantly putting out the fires created by that one resistor not doing their job. Mm -hmm. So the accountability part of customer-driven leadership was going to quickly reveal they weren't doing their job and that they were causing problems for the entire organization. And everybody else was so servant-hearted, they just tried to solve the problems without having the time to really go, well, why are we having all these problems? So mm -hmm. that person was let go before we brought in customer-driven leadership. So that's one way that it can help, right? It, 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 it will shine who doesn't want to be invested in that better, bigger organization. Mm -hmm. um, and the second part is the owner of this organization is cutting edge and they want to build an organization that is leading their industry. And that's where their heart is. And it's fantastic because that's the vision that the rest of the team can buy into. 
The problem is they were going out to conferences and buying you know, innovative solutions and bringing them back, but not giving the team time to digest those systems and incorporate those systems and start making money on them before they were off getting the next innovative solution. So what they were doing was creating a debt crisis for for the organization. They could, you know, they were having problems paying their bills because all of these great new ideas were getting bought, but they weren't getting, they didn't have time to incorporate them and, mm. and monetize them. So Shiny Red Bull syndrome, where you're just chasing the new thing, right? Yeah. So so customer-driven leadership, what they did for that was they created a council uh, where the owner could propose, hey, I want to go after this new thing. And then they would get to question the owner on, is that what we need to be doing right now? And basically vote. And, you know, they would also ask questions like, how will this earn us more money over the next year? And the other part that, that they caught on, the team said, is you go out to a conference and you hear all the newest and latest things, but those things aren't approved yet. We can't do them here. And you're sharing them with our customers, our, our patients. And so if you're telling the patients about the newest things coming down the line, how is that helping them with their problem today? And so, you know, they created a, a you know, a, a flow, a checklist for how to help the patients and, and kept the owner focused on, you know, Go speak at conferences about the things, the exciting things that are happening in the industry. But, you know, the patients only need what they need today. You know, how can you help them now with their current problem? It's such a powerful purpose and sense check, isn't it? Is this helping us serve our customers? If it's yes, let's keep on looking. If not, just move it to one side. Then we've got other things that are priority because we're focusing on our customers right now, right? Right. Taking the heart out of it, you you definitely want to know three things, you know, four things, right? Is it helping our customer? Is it, is it delivering more and and building that customer loyalty? Is it reducing the cost of what we do? Is it increasing our efficiency at what we do? Is it increasing what we can sell our services for? Right. So, you know, as a whole, those are like the the things you should be doing. But beyond that, customer driven leadership is actually not ROI focused. It's servant focused. Team A serves team B, which serves team C, which serves the external client. Uh, first of all, the hierarchy of the organization is inverted. So the senior leader is at the bottom and leaders are evaluated by the teams they serve, not the other way around. So uh, what this enables- wow. Let's just sit on that for a moment. Right. So the leaders are evaluated by the teams they serve. Mm -hmm. Are you effective as a leader? Well, it depends on the people that you're leading. It reminds me of a, of a, um, a quote I got from a uh, Tibetan monk who said, if you want to know how enlightened you are, have a good look at the people around you, which I thought was a fantastic twist. <laughs> but um, I, so, I used to say, I used to say, I judge my success as a leader by how many people are getting promoted off my team. Ah, nice. That's so Jim Collins. That's so level five leadership, isn't it? It's kind of like you're trying to build leaders for the future, but then if they start surpassing you, well, then that's a good thing. It's a good kind thing. Kind of. We're beginning to touch into now what 
what that good looks like, what it looks like when we have a customer-driven leadership. So we've got we've got leaders being assessed for the quality of the teams that they are serving. Yeah, and that's one of the things I saw in corporate America, right? Um, you could have a team full of dragon slayers, but the team leader has two gold stars to hand out at the end of the year, right? You've just told all the people who slayed a ton of dragons for you, I didn't assess that you were one of the two best worthy of recognition. It takes everything out of you and uh, makes you feel like I don't belong here. I want to go someplace where I'm appreciated. Well, it so, also undermines the integrity of the of the organization. So, I mean, Margaret Hefferman's talk, that TED talk around super chickens, uh, forget the pecking order at work, it's worth a Google. It, but the, the principle being that they took some chickens and all the highest performing chickens, they separated them from from uh, the group and uh, and kind of created this this group of super chickens and all the rest were kind of left in, in another group and they kind of evolved. And over like six generations of chicken, all the ones that were um, left were you know, healthy and just producing eggs and no problem. But for the group of super chickens, the egg production had dramatically dropped and all but I think two of the chickens were dead because effectively they they had isolated all the, if you like, the alphas whose primary job was to, you know, that they were successful by by undermining the success and and sabotaging the success of everybody else in order to stay top of the pecking order. And if we if we're reinforcing those behaviors all the time, then you know that's that's not a company-wide perspective and it's not customer driven, right? You're just creating a um a, a, a base of of how who can accumulate the most power and influence. Right. So what's different in customer driven leadership is team A goes to team B and says, what's the one thing that I can do to help you deliver better to team C and to the external client. Because and team B is their customer, right? Team B is their customer, right. right. And when you master that, then you look at what's the second most important thing I can deliver for you? What's the third most important? And so over time, you start getting, and eventually you're going to get to a point where, you know, maybe that first thing that you did for them is just business as usual now, and you just drop it off. Or maybe you check in on it, you know, quarterly or yearly, but that's so much incorporated or you've so much surpassed that it's not, it's not relevant anymore. So some carebouts, we call them carebouts, will drop off and others will, will come in. But what's interesting is team A is graded, their score, their evaluation is how well they delivered against their carabouts. And they may have three carabouts to team B and maybe one carabout to team C, but they're evaluated against that. And they're all hard metrics. You have to boil it down to hard metrics. It's no, well, I thought you did pretty good this. No, it has to be, did you do it? You said you were gonna do this. How close did you get? How well did you succeed? Um, and then they share that score as a team. So now it, in corporate America, if I can make Andrew stumble just a little bit that I cross that finish line a half a second in front of him, I get the gold star and Andrew has to sit around for another year to see if he can trip me up so that he can get the gold star, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, comp, it's, it's a competitive environment instead of a collaborative environment. If I'm on the phone every day, just talking to the people, I'm going to be a horrible salesperson. But what I can do better than most people is I can solve the problems that are preventing a sale from moving forward. So if everybody in the team, as soon as they run into a client that's like, I, I really can't do this because I don't have the capital right now. Hey, 
let me let me send you over to Daniel. He's very creative in helping people work out their problems. See if he can help you. If if not, we understand and we'll follow back up with you in another you know couple of months and see if the situation's changed. Transfer that call to me. Maybe I can help them figure out how they can pay for it, and then I transfer them back for the closing of the sale or I I close the sale, whatever it is. But if I'm working in my area of genius and everybody knows that, hey, Daniel can solve the problems 90% more effectively than everyone else. And in a third of the time, why is anybody else solving problems if I'm there? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to play to the strengths, right? It's about everybody understanding the position to play that is going to be of great help the team service. The yeah, help the team. So here's the other part, Andrew, the leader of the team shares the score as well. So they, 70% of your score is how well the team did. And then the employees, the other 30% of their score is how well did they live out the values of the organization and mm -hmm. how well did they do what they're supposed to do in their role? And, and we assess that through a random survey. So, you know, this month, maybe you'll evaluate me. Maybe next month, uh, Gemma will evaluate me. Um, but you, you have to be specific. You have to say, you know, Daniel, when you get frustrated with customers, you're not living up to our values because it comes across and it makes us look unprofessional, right? And so I then love I love that something. you're putting KPIs against you against the, the organization's values because so often they just get stuck as the you know it's the laminate that gets put on the fridge isn't it and it's 100%. that's where they stay and bringing these things to life is a constant struggle for for the leaders i work with it's how it's the biggest question how do we get that culture embedded we know what culture we want it's just how to get it embedded here you're putting it right into the heart of how people are are assessed in, in terms of their performance. It's it's not just a something that skirts around, oh, we'd kind of rather you do it this way. It's no, this is your job. Are you doing it or are you not doing it? Right. And it has to be specific feedback that I can take action on. You can't just say, oh, Daniel, you're just not as good as the other employee. That doesn't help me become a better employee. No. You know, it has to be, and it's it's not like, well, five times you did this, so I'm going to take you down five things. It's I did one thing wrong. If I can work on that one thing, it solves all the other things, right? It, it, they're all, what's the root of what I'm not doing right so that I can focus on that thing and get better? And then I will or I won't. And if I won't, I'll be voted off the team effectively. I, that's how it works in CDL. Eventually, I will be the obvious weak link in the team. And then it could be that I'm on the wrong team. Or if, it's a, if, it's, if, I'm, if I'm not living up to the values, it's probably time to move on. You know, it's probably time to ask me to move on. Mm -hmm. I think the greatest way to assess the values of your organization is to ask your customers, what do you think our top three values are? Mm -hmm. Because if they can't see your values in the way that you're serving them, is your organization focused on your values like a arrow? That's huge. I mean, I, I've, noticed our values being echoed back by the team in terms of um talking about how well we've done and over a particular project we do a bit of a debrief at the end of a project and end of a cycle and it's it surprised me in a really pleasant way to hear one of the teams say actually i thought that that was a really courageous thing to do and courage is one of our values right we want to do the brave thing and 
it's one of those things, isn't it? When values are really being brought to life, it's not necessarily in the way that the leader envisages that value. It comes to life in its own, in its own way, right? Yeah, I think. Uh, first of all, I love that you do those debriefs because I, I, I think, I think this is a John Maxwell quote, but I may be wrong on that. It is you know, uh, experience doesn't make you better; it's evaluated experience, right? You have to look at back at what did we do where did we do well where did we fall short so that you really can learn from the experience the weakest link is not something necessarily to be you know punished or it's how can we reinforce you how can we make you stronger i love that quote about evaluated experience you you worked with uh, John Maxwell. I was. Yeah, I'm. Right? I, I am a certified John Maxwell speaker trainer coach. Uh, I actually went with John into the Dominican Republic to do country transformation. There were 185 coaches that volunteered our time, um, and we we managed to uh, train in one week almost 25,000 people on how to wow. replicate this across their country. It was amazing. What a thing to be part of. I caught COVID, but other than that, it was great. <laughs> There's always a price, right? <laughs> oh dear, it's yeah. When I was just talking today about you know when um it's you know for the benefit of all sentient beings, but uh, it also helps if you include yourself in that. Then you've got to you know factor yourself into the mix. Um, sure. All right, so we've got this sense of an organization where. The leader is calling the shots. They've got their sense of ownership. They want there's that element of control. There's that element of how do we make this work for me? There's that sense of you know we're rewarding people for winning um, and for their for their status and performance and and success. And we are creating environments where almost we're undermining each other's performance. And that may be an environment that a lot of our leaders who are listening to this can, can really relate to, and they may be seeing playing out, and they may be even be responsible for changing. But then we're looking at this customer-driven organization and embedding that leadership mentality into the, into the organization in order to achieve an environment where we, we're guided by this sense of purpose to, um, to serve the customer. Does this serve the customer? Does this help us serve our customer? And also layers of, of internal customers that we serve and with the flipped pyramids so that our leaders are serving the people who are reporting to them and those people are reporting to the next and reporting to the next interdepartmentally we are looking to build relationships where we're empowering each other and supporting each other to play to our strengths to ultimately serve the customer in the best possible way what's the beeline daniel how do we what's the shortest clearest possible way to get moving and get to that point where we're open to that culture, where we're seeing the benefits of that and we're beginning to serve our customers in the best possible way. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're 100% focused on the success of your organization and you're all in on it serving your customers well, you're limited by your own perception. Your awareness confines you. Let's say you're working collaboratively with your senior leadership team. Still, they have blind spots into your organization as well, right? They're not into the day-to-day -day how you deliver for those clients. And what kind of gems are hidden and what kind of risks are right around the corner? The reason why senior leaders spend so much of their time fighting fires is because 
nobody's putting out the fires <laughs> locally, right? And so when you share your vision for the organization, first of all, if you have a vision of a 10X, what does your organization look like when it's serving 10 times as many customers at, you know, at a much higher value? Um, then that's something that I can buy into as an employee. Oh, I have room to grow here. The next thing is everybody needs to know what everybody does in the organization because it's that conversation, that negotiation between teams, right? If I never ask you, what's the one thing I can do to help you deliver for your customers better internally, then how many opportunities are missed before we get to the external customer? And so you need clarity around that. Uh, we have things, each team uh, has what we call a playing field. They have a clearly defined set of rules that they play within, right? It allows the players to play all the way up to the, to all of the boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, you don't want your, your football team only playing on the middle stripe of the field if the other team is playing on the whole field. So those are the types of things when you give that kind of clarity and then you ask them, hey, how would you do things better? I, I love this question is going around and asking your, your uh, staff, if, if I didn't tell you how to do your job, how would you do your job? <laughs> oh, that's such a golden question. Because you know what, they know what they have to deliver. You know, often the guy who who's on the phone trying to order ink for the copy machine is like, he might know, gosh, it's getting harder and harder to get ink around here. But if he doesn't tell anybody that, mm. if, if, if leadership knew that, they're like, hey, next order, make sure that we get three months of ink as quickly as we can. So that we, until this crisis passes, we're going to have the ink we need to be successful. That's really playing the uh, the Peter Senge learning discipline, uh, sorry, fifth discipline of learning organization around, you know, it's almost like an organism that you've got parts of the of the organization are, are like eyes and others are like fingers and everything else. Unless they're actually communicating and feeding back to the central nervous system, then, then how can that organism make effective decisions? I think that's, I mean, the hive, right? It's, you know, if, if the queen is sitting in the middle of the hive yeah. and only seeing what the queen can see, yeah. the hive's going to die. Yeah. But if the queen is getting input from every single member and nobody is afraid to call out, hey, could we do this better? Hey, is this a risk to us? Hey, I've got a client that's pulling back, pulling away. The, the beeline is make sure you can see all the risks that everyone in your organization can see and all of the opportunities that everyone in your organization can see, because that's what gets you that 10 X growth or that hundred X growth. So you're really opening up people to communication. You're creating a safe space for people to share ideas, to be vulnerable about getting things wrong because put an idea out there and it's wrong you know if there's if there's payback for that that's you're not going to come up with the next one right 100 um, so you are you're sharing you're learning you are uh it sounds like decentralizing decision making and encouraging people to act on some of those instincts within those boundaries so tweaking those boundaries i guess is a almost like a living document experience right you've got to 
test stuff and take some risks there, which really sounds a lot like surrendering control, which can be terrifying, right? Innovation and creativity is unlocked within the whole organization when a leader is willing to surrender the control. Freedom to work on the business rather than in the business. It's the, I mean, it's the oldest cliche in the book, but wow, it's so, so powerful when you look at it from that from that larger organization perspective when we're empowering our teams to the point where you can step back. And I mean, you brought up some really uncomfortable things for me uh, in particularly around my tendency to go chasing after shiny red balls. And, and just this week, I'm thinking about retracting an email you know, that I've sent out to one of my team kind of saying, Hey, look, we need to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to set you up to do this thing. So well, hang on, how about I ask, what do you think? Is this a go? Does this help? Does this serve our customers? Does this help us get to market in these kinds of areas? It looks nice to me, but I'm curious for your perspective. I think it's a much more effective way of, of leading that situation. I would say what grew me most as a business leader um, is, uh, is being part of the strategic coach community. So Dan Sullivan's entrepreneurial coaching program, he's got uh, just amazing tools. Uh, so many entrepreneurs have ADHD, right? They they will quickly grasp and get distracted, and and if you're a visionary with that gift, because uh, really there's a lot of benefits to also being able to disengage and let go of things, um, you you tend to have a ton of ideas. But if your people spend all their time chasing your ideas, uh-huh. you lose the focus of the organization. Great. Okay. So look, big question we ask all our guests. Right. What's that biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome to make an impact? Because you've made a lot of impact in a lot of situations. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's uh, everything I've done is a new arrow in my quiver. And to be honest, uh, Andrew, where I miss the mark is I can't treat customer driven leadership as another arrow in my quiver. It is the biggest impact that I can have on helping organizations change how they do things in ways that will empower their people, let them feel connected to doing more and serving more and serving better for the good of the organization and the good of the people that that organization serves. And it can be nonprofits. It can be, I mean, it's the, it's the organizations that will change the world. If I can change a thousand organizations with customer-driven leadership, I will have far more impact than if I do cyber exercises with a hundred thousand. So I've had to let go of the lesser things to, to move forward the bigger things. That's immensely challenging to do when you've still got connections to that world and people are pulling you back into that direction and back into those worlds. And it's hard for me, Andrew, because I'm a servant at heart and, you know, I want to serve people well. And, you know, I want to say yes to everybody who needs me, but, you know, I, I also want to do the most good that I can in my time here. Daniel Hammond, how do people reach you? Yes. uh, LinkedIn is a great way to reach out. Uh, also customer driven leadership.co. I want the book. to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple of books, uh, customer driven leadership legacy edition is where I would start. It's got 
the overview of what it is and its history. And, and then if you love it and you want to do more, we have an implementation guidebook as well. Marvelous. Daniel Hammond, thank you so much for joining us on Beeline. Thank you, Andrew. Don't miss the next episode of Beeline when Andrew talks to Chris Stanley, entrepreneur and owner of multiple successful businesses. If you're interested to know more or could do with a reminder about today's episode or any of the other episodes in this series of Beeline, I've collated some notes, links and resources for you to explore and download at www.consultthehive.com forward slash Beeline. The Hive Change Consultancy provides radically effective training, coaching and facilitation that enables a dynamic shift in leaders, sales teams and entire organisational cultures. Get in touch today for an informal chat with one of our team. My name's Gemma Aston and you've been listening to Beeline. Lead the way. Beeline.